Hi, this is Dominic Pace from The Mandalorian, and you are listening to The Atomic Podcast. Intellectual stimulation by way of mobile devices. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. And here is your host of the show, Efren Guzman. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the Atomic Podcast. Coming to you live from Twin Lakes, Wisconsin, where I blow up the news on a verbal scale. I am your host, Efren Guzman. My guest today, acting phenomenon, Dominic Pace. Dominic, what's going on? How are you? Hello to your listeners. Happy to be here, and uh, Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year to you, man. Um, 2020 is upon us. Who would have ever thought, you know, I, I, at this time of the year, I thought we would have flying cars like the Jetsons or, like, um, technology like Star Wars, and we're still kind of the same way now. <laughs> yes and no. I got to tell you, my son uh, for Christmas got the Oculus, and I'm sitting there for a second, and I said, you know, when I used to go to that land of tomorrow, there's part of this that was kind of true. Now, don't get me wrong. I would love to have one of those hoverboards. You know, you saw Back to the Future. Yeah. But also, at the same time, I said, you know, I mean, between the iPhone and the Oculus, I think we've done okay. But I know what you mean. It's it's really uh, something to have here in the future, you know? Yeah. You see, well, I'm 43, and my era of, like, technology was, like, the first era for me was, like, the Atari 2600, where you had the UHF TVs, and hear the clunking when you change the channels. So much has changed yeah. since then, you know? So much has changed. Absolutely. I'm 44 years old, born in 75, just very close to you. So, yeah, I remember, I mean, I remember watching Super Mario Brothers when we had it, you know, for the first, like, home entertainment system after Atari, and we're all just sitting there like, oh, my God, we have the arcade in our house. It's the most... I'm never leaving the house ever again. (laughs) (laughs) I know. um, We was talking earlier, but before we started recording, so you're from New York City, right? That's correct. No, actually, not New York City. Westchester County. Just about 40 minutes north, Yonkers, uh, north of the Bronx, uh, Austin, New York, famous for their prison, Sing Sing Prison. Uh, it's a great, it was a great mountain pod, middle class neighborhood. Uh, it was a great place to grow up, and I, I've been out here since uh, 1998. Wow, and how you been coping without the New York City pizza? Like, how you been coping with everything? <laughs> oh, man, well, you know, I'll tell you, thankfully, there's about two or three locations where if you feel homesick, and I even found some, uh, one place for the Philly uh, friends. Uh, one place called Booze, where they've got a pretty good steak and cheese. But, yeah, you got to do your homework in order to find some good pizza out here. Oh, man, that's crazy. See, that's the one thing I miss about the New York City. It's all the diversity, all the different restaurants, all the different cultures. Like, a lot, like I, you know, I'm in Wisconsin right now, but for culture, you got to go to Milwaukee, and you got to, that's like an hour and somewhat minutes away. But the, like, the culture is, like, missing from here, depending on where you live at. Is the culture, you have good culture around your area? No, absolutely not. <laughs> um, you know, I, it really is more about who you are and who's who and everything else. I tend to be antisocial. Uh, my wife goes, you know, she goes a little crazy because, I mean, a lot of times I don't like to be at the parties um, because I have that New York energy. I have that Midwest energy about me to where it's not about who you are. I don't care if you worry if you're at the checkout or you're the greeter at Walmart or whether you're starring in a new feature film. If you're a good person, that's all I care about. And unfortunately here, it's a little bit more about status, we're not going to lie, as opposed to um, who you are and what your integrity is as a human being. So um, I, I miss the East Coast, and I think a lot of my uh, the transients out here would say the same. Yeah. Um, take me back, man, um, because to me it's always fascinating when someone gets in the entertainment field, because that's something like I always aspire to do, but... 
in a way I sort of have my own entertainment field with doing podcasting. But what was what what is it about the entertainment and acting for you that made you want to pursue this? Um, you know, it's an adrenaline rush. Uh, there's nothing more uh, gratifying than feeling alive when you're doing a scene for me. Uh, you know, we live in a very politically correct society, and for right reasons. Otherwise, you can't have people running around like a bunch of animals. However, with that being said, we all have that inner animal inside. You know, we talk about all the psychological issues now with, you know, going on in society in terms of depression and, the, uh, you know, people that are emotionally unstable in one way or another. There is something very gratifying about the imaginary world where you have that freedom to play it out, you know, in, in terms of a range of emotions. And that, to me, I've always been a stable person in, in life, but at the same time, I would definitely agree that everyone kind of needs that out in one way or another in your life. And for me, there was something not only gratifying within the art itself, but I guess to a real estate agent, there's something very gratifying about chasing that next kill, chasing that next job, that next role um, that makes you hungry. And if you do it in a healthy way, you're able to uh, stay in a long career. And again, as if you're able to go with the ups and downs, the odd jobs, which are tremendous uh, and, and, and a plenty over the course of my, my history. Um, but if you're able to go through those undulations, a lot of good things can happen. Oh, but um, was it like something that was thought upon you when you was young as well, or just something it came yeah. on later, later in life, like something that you thought about when you was little? Like my, my mother, my mother used to play musical records all the time. She used to play uh, uh, old Broadway musicals, and one in particular was Grease. Uh, you know, Grease was on Broadway before John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John made it famous. Yeah. When I was 16 years old, I started my high school musical, and uh, I was a good singer. I was never great for Broadway, but I was a good singer. And uh, I was good enough to, uh, to hold my own, and that was the first time that I felt that amazing adrenaline rush that uh, actually fueled me more. I love baseball. Uh, I have got a few um, uh, mementos behind me. I'm a huge baseball fan. I'm a New York Met fan, which is kind of unfortunate. 86? But, uh, 86 Mets? Met but uh, baseball was my yeah. first passion. I wanted to be a major league ball player, pitcher. I never pitched, uh, threw past 80 miles an hour, so you got to be honest with yourself at a certain point whether that's going to happen or not. Um, but the adrenaline rush that I received from uh, uh, acting kind of superseded the, the feeling that I got from striking somebody out. And then also, when you start to graduate high school, you're either going to go out to Division One ball or, you know, and try to pursue major leagues, or you have to kind of pursue a different craft. So the adrenaline rush, it kind of uh, easily and beautifully transitioned over to wanting to become an actor. As long as the journey has been, as tough as the journey has been, uh, it's been very grat uh, gratifying. Uh, as well there. Um, were you a fan of the 86 Mets with Keith Fernandez, Sid Fernandez, Ray Knight, the whole squad? Oh my God, I could name every single one of them. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> that was my childhood team. Uh, I was old, 1986. Yes. And those guys were like my superheroes. And I'm so happy now my, my son Bennett is a huge Dodger fan. And I'm so happy now to watch him kind of watch his eyes glow through all the superstars of the Dodgers, even though they haven't got their luck yet with the World Series. Uh, but still, to enjoy the experience with him now at that age is so magical to watch through a father's eyes uh, because I had the same excitement with my 86 Mets there. I know the 86 Mets always had a special place in my heart because my mother was a diehard New York Mets fan. And then I think, you know, the net, the Mets are sort of like the Knicks for basketball in New York. Like, we're always disappointed yeah. with them no matter what. And we try, we want them to do good, but it, it's yeah. never the case, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I can't even follow basketball because the Knicks are my <laughs> But it's, I mean, we haven't followed anything since Ewing and Stark. <laughs> that is so true, man. That is so true. Tell you, yeah. I say the only dynasty really in New York is the Yankees, and it's like everybody likes the Yankees, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, credit to Eli Manning. I think he's carried some good seasons, obviously, on the outs now. But, uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. You've got to tip your cap to the Yankees, especially literally uh, the 1996 Yankees, where it was a lot more homegrown mm-hmm. and farm-grown than purchased. Um, that team, I mean, it was hard as a New Yorker not to root for them. I'm not one of those guys where you got, you know, you can't like the Yankees. The 1996 Yankees, you have to respect uh, those original guys, the original four, Bernie Williams, Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Jorge Posada, uh, you know, and, and uh, I mean, well, Paul O'Neill, Martinez, but that, that team, they sort of nurtured, and he petted, they sort of nurtured themselves, and, and you got to give the respect for that there. Yeah. It's amazing that you're still, you're in L.A., but New York is always in your heart no matter what. Like, you still have that in there, you know? Oh, uh, without question. Like I said, there's such a connection. When I go back into Times Square and I work, I, you know, it's funny, I never, I don't take the subway if I can avoid it because I just miss the energy of walking on those streets. There is nothing like it. Uh, but also, like I said, from the cultural aspect, especially what's going on in today's day and age, you know, in terms of, uh, every, you know, there's a lot of segregation right now, whether it's political or social. What I love so much about New York is we all come together as one. You know, there wasn't uh, such a, you know, there's no harshness towards the races or the cultures. It's more of just all coming together as one. And I really, I miss that very much. Yeah, no, same here, same here. So you said you had the same love of baseball that you had in acting. So that, you know, that sets you on your course to continue that in high school and whatnot and doing, like, plays? Yeah. 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 I did plays, and then uh, I went to college for one year. My mother was amazing. You know, she, she knew that I wasn't going to be uh, some kind of a uh, you know, deadbeat at home. But after one year of college, uh, New York City was only two hours away, and I was commuting to the city to audition. And I told her, I said, listen, I said, I'm just not feeling it with this communications degree. Even at that time, we were paying $17,000 a year. Wow. I thought I was going to be almost $100,000 in debt with a degree that I didn't really know what I wanted to do with. Uh, and I knew that an acting degree wasn't going to mean much. And I tell kids now in seminars that I teach, you know, you have to be really picky in terms of whether you want to get that degree in the arts. Because I don't know technically how much that does for you on the, on the streets, you know. Um, so there were amazing programs in New York City. I had the courage to separate from my friends, away from the norm. Um, I tell my kids the same thing. You know, you have to do what makes you happy. It may not always be college. It could be a trade school. It could be a different passion. Maybe you want to take a couple years off after high school. But I told my mom, I said, look, you know I'm not going to be smoking weed and playing PlayStation on the on the bed. Uh, I, you know I'm going to go down there and hustle. And ever since, you know, I have 100 television credits in, uh, in film and TV without being a celebrity name. I'd say that's pretty remarkable in many ways and uh it's because I've, I've never given up i've always had that new york hustle and uh obviously a lot of good things have uh, come out of it uh, over the years there you know and also talking to you right now you seem very humble and you seem very mellow you know and it's also like you're grateful for, for what you have and being in new york it's always a struggle for people because a lot of people don't realize if they're sheltered their whole lives they never knew the point of struggling being in new york no matter where you're from, like, that's a struggle in itself. Because, like you said, taking the train, walking around, you know, we're not driving cars five minutes away to a store or Walmart. You know, there's no Walmarts. Because if Walmart took over New York City, it will kill all the little small mom-and-pop chain stores and whatnot. They have, like, the bodegas and whatnot. But, um... Yeah. Um, you know, um, I think it's also a cultural thing with a, a, a multitude of cultures in New York to where, you know, it was our upbringing by our athletic coaches. It was our upbringing by our parents, yeah. um, by our teachers, who basically said this world doesn't owe you anything. And, you know, they were, didn't give us any special treatment. They didn't pamper us at all. I had a very difficult time. One of my survival jobs for about eight years was restaurant management. And I had a very difficult time managing on the West Coast because of the attitude that we all grew up with in terms of keeping humble. 
And out here, you're going to have a whole different vibe, not with everybody, but with a, a decent percentage where you have a lot of entitlement. And, uh, you know, that doesn't, that's not in our vocabulary because, again, our parents could, uh, you know, taught us to get nothing and like it and at the same time work hard and good things will happen uh, to us on this earth, but not to expect anything because uh, we're not in that position or to ever treat anybody with a lack of respect, treat everyone uh, with gratitude. And I'll tell you, it, it doesn't stop with me, even with a lot of people, uh, you know, even the Australian culture, Hugh Jackman I was with for three months on Van Helsing, and his mm -hmm. attitude, I mean, this is one of the greatest movie stars in the world, his attitude was so humbling every single day, so I always say to myself, if Hugh Jackman or Will Smith, who I was with on Bright, can have that sort of level of uh, groundedness to them, uh, there's no excuse for me whatsoever. See, that's good that you have positive experiences, because, you know, as, as fans and people looking in the glass tube, we don't know how they really are. So hearing that is kind of refreshing because you hear different horror stories or you see the TMZs of the world and see how people treat other people. So it's kind of refreshing hearing that he's a cool person as, as he was, that you met him, you know, he's cool. Oh, absolutely. And don't get me wrong. I mean, you have your divas, but I, I'll tell you, I mean, the good now in terms of, you know, part of that whole Me Too movement, which again, I mean, did so much good for, for so many uh, women and so many colleagues throughout the world. Uh, at the same time, it also did a lot for respect in the workplace overall, where there would be a lot of directors, a lot of actresses or actors who thought they can throw their weight around in so many different ways, and now uh, that's not going to fly anymore. There's just so much of an oversaturation of talent that if you don't have a positive attitude, you, your, your days are numbered out here, I'll tell you that. I mean, there were, there's some stories, I don't want to name particular actors or actresses, but their careers are over because, uh, and, and rightfully so, you know, you need to treat everyone with respect, and when you come on set, you're there for everybody else. Everybody else is there to do a job. The cast, the crew, the people that don't get the recognition that they deserve, um, they're, you're there for their work as well. So it, it's always important to stay grounded for many reasons. Yeah. Um, you know, you said your nationality is Italian. Um, do people automatically, when they see you, they know you're Italian? Or like they, you're like kind of like, oh, I don't know what his race is. He could be European or he could be something else. Do you get that a lot? Oh, yeah. Well, out here, there's a very big Armenian and Persian community, so uh. we look very similar uh, to them. Uh, but I, I never wanted to, you know, I know obviously a lot of uh, Hollywood history is to change your name. You know, a lot of uh, Jewish, Irish, Italian, uh, you know, we were, were discriminated against Latino uh, for so many years. And a lot of people have changed their name. My last name, Pace, means peace in Italian. Um, so no matter what culture you are, I always... Um, um, just support everyone to wear that on your sleeve and to be proud of it, but also, most importantly, to be proud to be American as well. You know, I'm so grateful for so many opportunities in this country, but to be able to mesh it with our own cultural uh, positivity, I think is such a beautiful thing there. Yeah, it's amazing because now I think, you know, like the landscape has changed because, you know, like you were talking before about Latino roles being typecast in roles, being mugger number one or rapist number two. Now yeah. we're, we're becoming lawyers or we're becoming leads of shows. Speaking yeah. of leads, like Pedro Pascal and the Mandalorian, um, there's yeah. there's there's a lot of ethnic, you know, it's it, it's it's moving slowly, but it's moving. You know, we're getting rec recognized for leading roles. Like we're not just uh, the best friend, or we're not Rhodey from like Iron Man. You know, we we could also lead too. Um, do you think that's improving after time, like little by little? Do you see a change in that? I definitely do. I also support directors um, that are cultural. You know, I'll, I'll use Italians in particular, you know, Martin Scorsese, in terms of, you know, also not denying some of the cultural truth that sometimes have some negative connotations within our own cultures. The problem that lies is sometimes the racism among society to where, unfortunately, you know, you can't uh, uh, admit 
to maybe one little disability or one or another uh, malady of your culture, and I just mean in general, you know, with the Italian uh, people, um, to where you can tell a story that everybody can relate to. Um, but I believe in some of the cultural aspects that actually touch everyone's lives, not in a racial way, but in a way to where people grow from that by showing some of the flaws that might be a, a cultural thing or some of the positive aspects of culture. But with that being said, at the same time, how beautiful it is that any given culture right now can also play the lead roles, uh, can play the alpha, can play the leading man, the leading lady. Uh, without question, I just like to see a balance because I also believe in the cultural aspects that we should not wash over. I did a film with uh, Eva Longoria. I, I did ADR work. ADR work is called uh, voiceover. I was filling in voices for actors. But it was called Lowriders. And Lowriders, it was obviously dealt with the, uh, the, 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 the passion that the Latino community in uh, Los Angeles have with, with their cars. And to me, I thought that was one of the most beautiful films I've seen uh, in recent time, um, whereas, you know, maybe somebody might say, oh, well, that's too stereotypical, it's too this. But there's a lot of beautiful aspects, so I hope that they keep that balance to where you see some of the aspects within a culture to where we don't lose our, our own history, which sometimes might, you know, again, have a negative connotation, you know, with the mafia and, and the Italian culture, but also at the same time to integrate to where there's no question we should be leading men and leading women of, of all cultures and races and genders there. Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. You know, it's it's all it's all about positivity and it's all about opportunity. If the opportunity yeah. is there, no matter what race you are, if you're good, you're good. That's how it should be. Without, you know? without question, and how great it is to see that uh, coming forth now in these days. Yeah. So tell me, what was what was your first gig getting into California and getting like your acting role? What was your first gig? Uh, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm not very religious, but I, I've had two things over the past twenty plus years in my career, kind of bookends right now, where I think it's like somebody watching over me, kind of giving my, me my little dreams. Yeah. My first dream was to be a Major League Baseball player, and there's a movie called For Love of the Game with Kevin Costner, yes. to where I got to be on one of, the, uh, one of his teammates. I got to play at Yankee Stadium for an entire month, and uh, I was offered five days of work out here uh, to be one of the featured uh, ball players, and uh, I, that was the opportunity that I had in order to come out to Los Angeles. That was in 1998, to be with Kevin Costner, to be at Yankee Stadium playing as a Detroit Tiger. Uh, it was an absolute dream come true. So that was my first gig. My first principal role was in 2002 on a show for USA Network called Strong Medicine. Uh, shortly after 2003 was NYPD Blue, a guest star, a guest star in the district opposite Faye Nelson. And like I said, 100 credits later, and now bookending it with my childhood dream, which is Star Wars. Uh, we've had a, a pretty nice fleshed out career. Again, sort of the side characters, sort of the guest stars and co-stars. Not really necessarily. I mean, I started a few movies here and there, one for Sci-Fi Channel a couple of years ago. Uh, but ultimately, you know, side character roles. But I, I can't complain. I've been so grateful for the opportunities I've had and those little dreams that I've had uh, that have been able to come true over the years. Speaking about The Mandalorian, in my opinion on Star Wars, there's no side characters. Because every figure gets an action figure. It doesn't matter if you're standing by the sidelines or, you know, you're, you're, you're like the, the, the gonk robot. Everybody, every person is, every character is a story. Um, take me back to The Mandalorian, and which is, to me, is probably an, an amazing Star Wars show. It's like, I think I waited all my life for a live-action Star Wars series, and it finally happened. But um, yeah. you being part of, now you're officially, no matter what, what acting job you get next, you're officially part of the Star Wars universe and hopefully eventually an action figure. Tell me how did that process and the acting process, you got, how, how, you, how did you get everything? How did you get the role? How did you get everything? 
Absolutely. You know, it's that New York mentality. I have done every odd job you can imagine. You know, there's a lot of dirt on my shoulder, and there will be uh, throughout my career in terms of always staying humble, always giving back. Um, I've done everything from wedding tables, moving companies, working for, driving for Uber, whatever it takes in order to fill in those gaps in between my guest stars, my lead roles, uh, my independent films. Uh, there is no excuse that I make in terms of acting like some Hollywood diva. This kind of came about, the Mandalorian came about with a simple makeup test. There was an amazing gentleman by the name of Brian Sight. He's one of the heads of Legacy Effects. Legacy Effects is one of the most prestigious prosthetic makeup uh, companies within the United States, within Hollywood. Uh, they deal with Marvel, Disney, Star Wars, you name it, DC. Um, all of the amazing elaborate prosthetics where they have to have close-ups, but it looks so real. That is uh, uh, Legacy Effects. He worked on Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy, David Bautista, for all the four or five films that Bautista had to do for Galaxy. Okay. And uh, it was just a simple makeup test. There was no promise whatsoever of uh, uh, another job. There was no promise of working on any Star Wars production. I didn't even know what I was going in for. But just with that mentality of taking everything, I sat there for six hours and having previous prosthetic experience on Van Helsing, uh, previous prosthetic experience on uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Bright with Will Smith. Um, for six hours, we just hit it off. I stayed grounded. I was very humble. I was patient. I was kind. And weeks later, I get called in for a project called Huckleberry, and I walk into a wardrobe room, and all of a sudden, I see the words, Dominic Pace on the hangar, bounty hunter. And <laughs> I, I think I've got to take you back, man. I, I've been a lifelong fan. We're, we're our age, are the OGs of Star Wars fans, yeah. you know? And we are, it hit our age the hardest, because we were the children during that era, to where those action figures... It, there was no oversaturation during that time. Yeah. Star Wars action figures was life. I mean, it was like, it was our creativity, our imagination. Uh, you know, so you talk about our first playsets, right? The Cantina yep. playset. And what was amazing about those playsets were the side characters, Greedo, uh, Hammerhead, um, Snaggletooth, you know, what have you. Um, so the fact that I was going to be one of these side characters in a cantina in Star Wars uh, was beyond words. Um, and then to make the sweet in the pot, Deborah Chow, they had to do a cut after the first episode. I was briefly seen in the trailer. I was briefly seen in the cantina in the first episode. But if I didn't make that third episode, which was decided by this amazing director, Deborah Chow, uh, during the standoff uh, for Baby Yoda there, uh, I, I wouldn't have gotten that much established screen time and would not have had a, a potential opportunity. And again, this is still up in the air. I hope that the Star Wars fans can support me on this. Uh, but to try to get an action figure there would just be a dream come true this year. Yeah. Are you part of the second season? Uh, I cannot say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. No comment at all, but I will say this. It's just, if you win the lottery, as much as you want to continue to win another million dollars, another two million dollars, there's a part of me, just like the Yak Faces, the Reyes, the Klaatus, um, the Stapletooks of Star Wars, to where if you were to have that opportunity... I would rather see a new Star Wars fan get to have a, their own unique character because for me, you know, this I'm set for life. I mean, really, honestly, <laughs> genuinely set for life. The fact that just that probably one minute of screen time at the most, and I think Filoni and Favreau understand that, that how important this franchise is to so many people, how many ways it has inspired us through, through so many ways through our careers, whether it's being, wanting to become an actor. Uh, the magic of George Lucas has just been phenomenal. Uh, there's nothing I would love more, but also at the same time, I, I have to say, if it ends, and I've never seen even in a fiction book or a comic book or uh, in season two, I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity they gave me and, and this gentleman, Brian Seif, 
who created a dream, a childhood dream come true. I, that can never compare to the rest of my life. Yeah. I say there's roles for an action figure for you in the future. That it has to be. It has to be done, man. <laughs> I, I hope so. You know, they, they rolled out with the first uh, pop, uh, pop, pop, and it was pretty intimidating. And now I'm just about to go on the first uh, Comic-Con tour where, again, it will be pretty intimidating because you're dealing with the stars. But also at the same time, these fans have just been absolutely amazing. You know, and again, like you said, no side character is too small. Uh, so I've been feeling that love for the past couple of months for the Star Wars community. And I just can't tell you how grateful I am. I can't do enough in return. Um, I, this 501st Legion, yes. I'm sure your listeners are familiar with that. Yes. But it's not only being fans of Star Wars. I can't tell you if, you, if nobody's familiar, if no one's familiar uh, with what they do. They do so much charity throughout their communities. They do so much good to their communities and help so many people, especially children, people in need. Uh, so they made me an honorary member a couple weeks ago. So now uh, the mission is to step up to that plate and to, uh, to, to pay it forward as much as I can within those communities that I visit uh, throughout the course of the next year uh, with my Comic-Con tour there. Yeah. Um, did you take a lot of pictures in your makeup once you was there in your, in your suit? Or Absolutely you not. Nope. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely not. They took our phones. Um, there was oh. nothing. I was, uh, there was a artist who was gracious enough to send me a photo, and he said, as soon as uh, the, the show is released, um, you know, do it, but please do not uh, release it before that. And I honored that 110%. Um, there was extreme. There was an extreme NDA agreement in terms of keeping it all secret, and rightfully so. You know, the Star Wars community deserves uh, to be surprised when you go and you watch a episode of The Mandalorian, or you go and you watch Episode Nine. You know, it, it's it, you know, we're not those people that want to post spoilers and and and, and ruin it. Uh, the only thing that I was trying to do behind the scenes was trying to gain, uh, you know, my little PR team because obviously I wanted to make this character iconic. I take a lot of pride in him. Uh, so I was just working behind the scenes with some illustrators privately uh, just to kind of launch the character. Uh, but as far as photos or rumors or stories, uh, none of that stuff hit the Internet until obviously after it was uh, aired there. Yeah. How was the feedback you're getting? And like, the, you know, the show, the show itself got great feedback. But how about like feedback for the characters and what? You got a lot of great feedback? It, it, you know, it's so funny. It's really a catch-22, uh, you know, in a way or it's kind of toxic depending who you speak with. Um, you know, I, I talk to half the community, and again, they're just so beyond that, you know, you're a one-of-a-kind bounty hunter. And then there's others that are like, oh, you know, I wish you were one of the leads, I wish you were one of the stars. So if you talk to a Star Wars fan, um, they're beyond the moon. But also in reality, at least within Los Angeles, you know, unless you're one of the stars, it doesn't really have that much weight to it. But uh, for us Star Wars fans, it does. And uh, it's enough to garner at least about 11 months of seeing the world and touring the country uh, at no cost, uh, where I get to uh, sign autographs and uh, participate in charities. Uh, so that's our focus this year, and I'm, I'm really excited to meet so many uh, fans and hopefully to be able to inspire and touch people in a, a positive way, the way that Star Wars has done for me for so many years. And I respect you for being a fan with the tat, the hat, and the banner behind you. I know you're a fan, so I know you're ecstatic about that. <laughs> Absolutely. I've got a whole glass here here where the first row is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sort of an homage uh, to the original bounty hunters, the original six bounty hunters. So uh, absolutely. I, I've been a lifelong fan. That's why this has been so exciting for me. Uh, just because, again, it, you know, I've done, a, like I said, I've done so many different shows, um, but I'm, Star Wars holds a special place in people's heart. And as a Generation X boy, I'm no different. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, you know, there's like the Netflix, Amazons, Hulu, Disney Plus. Um, what is your personal preference? Like, what, what's your go-to um, app to watch? Do you have any? or? Um, 
That's a really good question, actually. Uh, you know, I really enjoy Amazon. I think Amazon has a really good array of films of all different kinds of genres and, and eras. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really enjoy Amazon just because I don't mind purchasing for $4 uh, each video, even with having Amazon Prime, in order to watch uh, whatever it is that I want to see. Sometimes I like to watch some obscure films uh, from the past and such. So I really enjoy the Amazon platform. With that being said, I'm, I mean, who can deny that Apple TV, Netflix, uh, uh, Yulu, and also Disney Plus now, obviously, yeah. uh, has so much great content. So uh, it's really exciting. And I, again, that's up for the fans and the, the viewers to decide what, the, what uh, uh, services they choose to uh, subscribe to there. Yeah. Besides Star Wars, what's your top, like, 80s movies that your go-to nostalgia movies that you have to watch? Like, you have, like, a top five that you like to watch? Absolutely. I got a book right now right on my, uh, my nightstand by Richard Donner. Uh, Richard Donner was one of the most legendary directors. We're talking about Goonies, Superman, Lethal Weapon. I mean, he's done, you know, some other legendary classics there as well. Um, but the man is just a legend. But you got... You got Donner, you've got Robert Zemeckis with obviously Back to the Future. Who can you know deny him? Obviously, the legend that is Steven Spielberg, and then also Joe Dante. I love Gremlins one and two. That was, I mean, just a kid favorite, and uh, I'm excited to see where that goes. I know there's a lot of rumors with Gremlins three, um, the '80s, and then on top of that, you just can't deny. I mean, in and of itself, uh, just its own separate category was the magic of John Hughes. Um, you know, again, I mean, you know, if you want to critique it now in terms of all the stereotypes and you know, uh, this political incorrectness and, and that. But at the same time, you know, he wrote about life and he really, uh, did such a magical job in terms of bringing so many uh, entertaining films uh, with the magic of his lead cast, John Candy, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase, um, you know, Dan Aykroyd, and even films that he didn't direct that he wrote, uh, you know, and of course the, the, the Brad Pack there, you know, from Breakfast Club and 16 Candles uh, and also, um, uh, oh, what was the other one? Pretty in Pink. Yeah. I mean, the guy was just a legend, some kind of wonderful... Uh, all those kind of films from our era is just uh, really special to me there, of course. Yeah. Do you think it's different now? Because movies like Bad News Bears, even though they had a remake of it, it's not the same that it was back then because everything is so PC and everything is so... You can't say this. You can't make fun of a, somebody who's fat. You can't, you can't say certain things now because we live in a different society and a different culture now. Do you think, it's, um, do you think it stifles um, like development for like certain creators because you, can't, you have to be PC about certain things? Um, I do, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think uh, the director, uh, oh, God, uh, his name escapes me right now, the Joker. Um, Todd Phillips, Phillips, I believe, perhaps, but he just came out with a quote saying that comedy is very difficult. Uh, I wish that we can split the difference where, with our own culture, if I, you know, Italian, I can make an, a joke and I can make comedy about Italian films. David Chappelle can make jokes about the African American community. Um, and being from New York, there was something very refreshing where we would be able to make fun of ourselves. However, it was not something that a lot of the millennials believe in to where it is racism. It's not racism. It was just in terms of having fun, having a good time together. Mel Brooks is the epitome of that to yes. where he would have so much fun, not only with the Jewish culture, but every single culture. Um, you know, I mean, you've got Blazing Saddles. You've got Spaceballs. You've got, you know, Young Frankenstein. I mean, he had so much fun with everything. Or Cheech and Chong, you know, to where, you know, again, Latino can have fun. I miss that personally, and I miss it because it was never racism to me. Unfortunately, I could tell a millennial that. I, I remember this one person said, uh, they put today something, they said, a Polish uh, guy, an Italian, and an Irish guy walk into a bar. 
And then they post this PC comment. They said, there's nothing funny about this. If you think it's funny, you're, you know, racist or sexist or whatever. And I had to comment. I said, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, one second. I said, you know, let's not go that far. Unfortunately, you know, from our culture, we didn't have those kind of differences in certain ways. And yes, maybe, you know, you were offended by this or offended by that. But there's a balance. And, I, and yes, I wish that we can go back because now we are dealing with a time right now, a lot of hypersensitivity to where, yes, I think that comedy writers have a really difficult uh, um, difficult job ahead due to a lot of the youth there. Yeah. Was you talking about Todd Phillips, the director of The Joker? That's what you were talking about? Yes, yes. yes. He specifically quoted that saying that making comedy, because he's done some legendary comedies in the past, he said making comedy is very hard right now because everyone's offended, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you remember, like, Bachelor Party and, um, <laughs> Bachelor Party and, um, uh, Airplane. Those were Revenge of the Nerds. Those movies would not see the light of day today. Like, it's just so... Nothing at all. Yeah. No, it wouldn't. And again, I mean, that's the thing. It's just really the balance between making, you know, but you just can't explain to the youth. They just don't understand it. Or if you didn't grow up in New York or the East Coast, a lot of times they just look at it as straight out racism and it's hate and it's offensive. And, and that's the end of the story. Um, it's hard to explain. I mean, again, and it's so funny because we used to look at our older generation and be like, oh, you guys don't get it. You don't understand. And they're saying that too now. What do they have that new quote saying? Okay, boomer. You know, I mean, it's basically being a passive aggressive little crap saying, you know, you don't get it. And, and I understand to a certain extent, but also at the same time, I mean, we miss Mel Brooks. We all miss Mel Brooks, all of us. Yeah. <laughs> end of story. Yeah. Is there a particular role you won't play? Um... You know, it's a good question, because at the same time, going back to what I said in terms of Scorsese being forward in terms of bringing forth the truth of the Italian culture, uh, you know, I just played a mob guy, uh, you know, and so to the part of me to where as long as, you know, David Chappelle stopped doing the Chappelle show at a time when I, a, there was a, uh, from what I understood on the Oprah Winfrey show, where there was a white racist that wasn't laughing with him, they were laughing at him, and he had a very hard time with that, but with that being said, at the same time, if I were to do a play an Italian mob role, um, I, I, I am okay with, uh, to, with the stereotype when the audience is with you. When they're just basically saying, oh, look at this greaseball, look at this dumb Dago wop, you know, then that's a different story to where then, again, like we talked about before, there is hatred infused in it. But at the same time, I, I'm not against playing roles and, and giving the truth that the director wants because there's a lot of cultural things about our communities that are true. And I think we still need to explore that in order to get to the honesty of new human nature. Uh, I think some of the there's sort of a, a, a numbness about Hollywood films sometimes now due to a lot of the political correctness, because a lot of times the studios cannot go there. And that's why a lot of times it's refreshing when you see a Spike Lee movie or when you see a Scorsese movie or you see a movie uh, by a prominent Latino or African-American director to where they are OK showing some flaws. Because that's what life is about. Um, I just finished a movie. I starred in it called Anonymous Killers, African-American director by the name of A.R. Hilton. And he censored nothing. And I can't tell you how grateful I am uh, to be a part of this uh, this film. And again, it touches on different cultures, a lot of our struggles, also uh, some, some stereotypes, but also at the same time done in a way that's real. Um, yeah. And I'm really proud to uh, to release this uh, this year, uh, sometime mid-year there. Oh, what, 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 is it direct to streaming or is it um, in th streaming? Yeah, most likely. I mean, you know, there's no starring names. I star in it myself. It's a half a million dollar budget. It's an amazing, thought-provoking script. Um, but also at the same time, you know, in order to compete against Marvel, DC, or Star Wars now, you've got to have starring names in order to get a wide release uh, theatrically. So it will be streaming, absolutely. 
Okay. I know you also did, you said a Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, how was working on that since the last season is coming out this year and I guess in the summertime, but how was, how was doing that? You know, I think any time you do a comic book, you know, as a kid, uh, and also I have a featured bit in Birds of Prey that I hope stays in, uh, in, in you know, uh, substantially. Um, anytime you do it, I think it goes back to childhood to where, you know, you, you remember the day when you were reading a comic book or playing with an action figure and just actually thinking that you're right there within the universe. Uh, there's something very gratifying about that from a Generation Xer standpoint of view. Um, but also at the same time, screen time is really important. I'm in a weird uh, uh, sort of position in my career to where I get a lot of guest starring roles, which uh, are a lot more screen time, but also being featured where it's just, you know, short screen time, but also in these dreamlike movies. Uh, it's it's also a gift in and of itself. It's just strange because it's not an acting accolade. It's more of just a gift as a child. Um, but so I try to tend to, I tend to stay focused, obviously, on my career on guest stars and co-stars. But also, it's nice to just kind of step back for a second and just those situations where they just want to feature you. Uh, if it's a comic book series or a Star Wars series, uh, I, I step up to the plate just because obviously it's a childhood dream come true. Yeah, I'm um, looking back at 2019, even though that was last month. Um, how was 2019 for you as a as a as a full 12 month year? Was it great? It, this is just life changing. I mean, this Star Wars community is beyond the words. And my whole life, I mean, I've tried to be a good person and to give, uh, but now I've been able to have a spotlight on doing that. So it's just amazing uh, to be able to now be gifted with a worldwide tour for an, almost an entire year until season two, uh, and then maybe even after that, we'll see what happens. But uh, yes, I mean, this has just been absolutely amazing. I haven't had to work a job in the last uh, two months just because my merchandise and my, my appearances have been paying the bills, which has just allowed me time to be with my, uh, my family, uh, my loved ones, and uh, also to focus on my career, which has been uh, absolutely amazing. That's been, um, what's the key to a successful marriage? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I hope my wife's not listening. Um, no, you, you know, look... You have to marry your best friend. You know, it's the most important thing. But the issue is, is that even with divorce in and of itself, I mean, sometimes you can ask that question. But at the same time, I would like to actually focus on those who perhaps get divorced. And the reason is, is because people change over time. And there's nothing wrong with that. The most important thing is that you keep the kids at the forefront of your marriage, no matter what's going on between you. Um, but at the same time, to make sure that when you're younger, and I just was preaching to my kids in the car yesterday, to make sure that you marry somebody who is your friend. A lot of times we can all feed into lust. I mean, there's that beautiful, gorgeous woman in that club, but man, she's a nut job after about two weeks. And the same with men. The same with, you know, poor women who have to deal with men who are players and who are, you know, out on, on the streets at night and, and aren't there for their children. I know a woman right now that's dealing with you know, a, a dad who just had their new child and uh, they, he's nowhere to be found because he still wants to be a kid. Um, so it's really to uh, stay engaged for as many, as long as you can for the most part, you know, two or three years, and to most importantly, inherit that friendship as opposed to the sexual lust. Because the sexuality, I think that goes after a while, but it's really that bond of friendship. And most importantly, no matter what happens, to be there for the children, uh, regardless of whatever your situations are in terms of changing. Mm, good answer, good answer. Um, have you had any regrets in life? Uh, say it again? Have you had any regrets in life? Any regrets? Oh, <laughs> oh man, that's a really good question. I, no, I, you know, the one thing with pursuing acting, and I think with athletes and also artists in one way or another, I think that you lack regrets. 
because you followed your dream. Um, I, if I, I had a ch- couple of opportunities to where I could have made close to six figures even within uh, a very established restaurant, uh, re- restaurant management as a general manager. Um, but if I had taken that path, I would have had regrets. But I cannot say enough for independent contracting in our country where we now have the freedom. And again, there are lowly jobs, but we now have the freedom to be able to have the flexibility in order to pursue our dreams. So we don't have to have the excuses. We don't have to sit there and work for a boss. We don't want to. They have so many apps, and I'm happy to, if any listeners are, I want to message me to list about five to six different apps to where you're able to work, but also at the same time stay focused on your dream because we're only here for a short amount of time, you know? Yeah. Um, do you have to keep in shape? for like acting wise or you can eat whatever you want or you have to keep a certain image to look the same well let's put it this way you know you should and you will suffer the consequences if you don't however there's a lot of times where i don't um i was up for game of thrones believe it or not i was up for Jason momoa's role for the role of drogo i was in with the vice president um oh. i work out 20 minutes a day i do not put in two to three hours but at the same time i will be the first person to admit that you need to look good you need to stay in shape and whether I hold to that or not, those are still the rules. And the reason I mention that is a lot of time, due to the, a lot of the political correctness now, you know, we want everybody to be superheroes and leads and this and that. There is a lot of work that these people that are in tremendous shape do, and they deserve that credit. They deserve that respect. With that being said, um, there's a lot of roles for me, police, uh, guard, uh, bouncer, uh, big burly bounty hunters, uh, which <laughs> has been amazing. Um, so I do my best to stay in shape. But at the same time, there is a bar that you should hold, and I have not done it 100%. And the reason I say that, though, is that I never, ever make excuses in terms of why I should be somewhere else. The world will give you those opportunities if you take them. And my hat goes off to the women and men who actually do a tremendous job to look at that leading lady and that man uh, have that look. Um, but I'm cast appropriately as they see it. And again, whatever you want to you know, step it up in life, just like anyone else with their dreams, a lot more opportunities for that itself, uh, and it's no different for me. Is there any uh, future role or dream role that you would like to play? You know, I did a campaign about four or five years ago for the role of Lex Luthor. Uh, you know, I'm six foot four. I have a shaped head, uh, absolutely, without question. Um, ideally, I would, <laughs> uh, immediately, I would love to see uh, my gecko bounty hunter come back to the Kenobi series and perhaps chase Luke. That's my dream. Um, wow. And to get my ass beat by Obi-Wan. That is my. <laughs> that would be my short-term dream, to be part of an elite group of bounty hunters that are the best of the best, to uh, get hired by Vader to search out Luke, um, and uh, and to have Obi-Wan fend, uh, fend him off throughout the series there. Okay. I have to ask you this question. Out of all the Star Wars chapters, which is your favorite chapter? Hands down, uh, Chapter 5, without question, Empire Strikes Back. Yes. Um, you know, I've been saying a million times, the beauty of Star Wars is due to the parallels of life. And when you take the, the mythology of Yoda, I mean, that is the essence of Star Wars. That's why we're still talking about it for so many years. That's the magic that they touched upon. Uh, they also touched upon the relationship between father and son, which is a major, major story for so many people in terms of fathers having differences with their sons. Um, you know, it really is not about the blasters or the lightsabers, as cool as they are. It's more about, you know, the relationships that we have in life, which is why that sci-fi franchise in particular stands out amongst any other space series and why they failed a million times before Star Wars. George Lucas touched upon it, as did Irvin Kirshner, who was the director, as did uh, uh, John Williams, who is obviously the genius of our time. 
in terms of the, the emotions that he brings out throughout the music. Yeah. Um, I know I'm an Empire Strikes, Back, um, Empire Strikes Back fan, but Rogue One also holds a special place in my heart, like right there, because just for that final scene alone, ah, that was epic, you know? Oh, my God. Absolutely epic. And yeah, I mean, there you saw a beautiful diversity of a cast. And also Donnie Yen, who was absolutely amazing. Yes. Uh, as well as uh, Felicity Jones, who did an outstanding job. Now they got the spinoff of Captain uh, Andor, which I think is going to be amazing. Yeah. Um, that from start to finish, I really put my faith in Disney, um, just in terms of the work that they did. And then not to mention, um, oh God, his name escapes me there, but uh, Orson Krennic, who was a phenomenal actor there, just did an amazing job as the villain there. Amazing cast, amazing storyline, amazing story arc. And obviously ended in the most amazing way between Vader as well as the sneak preview of Leia, which I thought was just absolutely amazing. Yep. All right. And um, what's next for Dominic? What's next? Well, we're going to be doing this tour until November. Uh, world tour, world Star Wars tour, where I can meet the fans, also contribute to charity. At the same time, I am anticipating uh, the release of Anonymous Killers. I will be flying to London, most likely at the end of the month, to attend the premiere, uh, the world premiere of Anonymous Killers. Um, we're also going to be in a film called Psychosis, opposite Tyler Maine, who uh, starred in uh, X-Men as well as Halloween. Um, there's another uh, horror thriller called Follow Me will be featured in um, uh, Birds of Prey as well. And uh, praying that uh, season two uh, continues on with Mandalorian and then also at the same time uh, the lore, whether it's through fan fiction or praying action figure, will come to light uh, in 2020 for me here. Okay. And my final question for you is... What would the Dominic of today tell the Dominic of yesterday? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> in 1993, to have taken $10,000 and put it in Yahoo stock on the pre-IPO, that would have been it right there. <laughs> 1993 pre-IPO. It, it was the only pre-IPO that wasn't a scam. And all of us hung up the phone on the, on the telemarketers. But that was the one pre-IPO we should have said, take all my money, and uh, we would have had millions by now. That would have been pretty much it, so... <laughs> wow! Oh man, that's a big one, man. Oh man! Yeah, they said ten thousand would have yielded thirty million dollars or something like that. Woo, man! Oh man! Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dominic, I'll uh, plug your social media, plug um, your 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 you know Instagram or Twitter or whatever you know if people want to follow you. Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, Dominic Pace all across all the platforms, and then also created a special website for my bounty hunter gecko, thebountyhunter.com with two keys. Uh, I've got all my merch up there. Thank you so much for supporting. Um, but I hope to be in a town uh, near you very soon. They have me all over the world. And I told them, uh, no holds barred. I really want to go ahead and enjoy this experience, meeting the fans, and uh, hope creating more and more lore to this gecko uh, bounty hunter there. As, as long as Cindy and John Favreau and Dave Filoni blessing, I'm hoping to, uh, to make uh, Gecko the next Dengar or Forlom or Zookus there. And congratulations on being on Wikipedia. You're on Wikipedia now. So it's a big yeah. deal. That's a big deal. Absolutely. Dream come true. And, and I'm grateful for all the contributors and all the fans who have been there uh, supporting me all the way uh, since day one there. It means so much to me. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Dominic Pace, um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking to me. Um, I wish you the best in your future. And hopefully, I know you, it's not official, but hopefully you might see you on season two. Hopefully, God willing, you know. God willing, thank you so much, and a happy new year to everybody. Happy new year to you, too, and I hope everybody out there was intellectually stimulated by way of mobile devices. Have a good one, folks. <laughs>